You know, there are two baby boys born this week that uh, made the news. Uh, one of the babies has a mother who is, is a princess. Well, technically she's a duchess, but close enough, okay? So one baby boy. The other baby boy was born to a 16-year-old unmarried mother. One of the baby's names is Archie Harrison Mountbatten Windsor. How's that for a label? Very royal, very cute, Archie. The other is named, at least for now, Patrick Casey Doe. Patrick, after a paramedic who helped treat the baby after he was found in a trash bin on the north side of Chicago, and Casey, after a Chicago police officer who cleared the traffic for the ambulance to take him from the fire station to the hospital. Two babies, boys. The royal one was welcomed by a loving, extended family, by a whole commonwealth around the country, around the world, and really welcomed around the world. This birth to uh, of Archie. The other one was unwanted, thrown away by his mother, rescued by a woman who ended up being a grandmother who was lying about it being hers, a 37-year-old grandmother, if you can imagine. And we don't know much more about that baby's family. But as soon as that baby was discovered and brought to the fire station on the north side, as soon as that baby came into that fire station, the firefighters, a whole team of firefighters, paramedics, police officers, doctors, nurses, rushed in to do their very best to keep this baby alive. At one point, he was cold and still and blue. But the article in the Trib this week on Thursday tells of how this whole team cheered this little boy on and demanding him to live. The paper says this, all the people who were around in the ER were saying, come on, kid, come on, kid, come on, little boy, come on, kid, fight back. They're all pulling for him. There were tears and there was joy and the boy responded and he is alive today. He is in critical condition at Lurie Hospital, but that little boy is alive. As I read about both baby boys this week, my thoughts turned turn first to our God, who, who, who sees deep value in both of these children, who rejoiced in the birth of Archie and grieved at the birth and the loss initially of little Patrick Casey Doe, and that God who loves deep, deeply these children. But my thoughts also turn to family in this week when we look at family, and my thoughts turn to the power of a community. One big extended royal family for one child, far from perfect, we see that all over the tabloids, but with everything their baby needs and much more. The other baby with obvious family pain, brokenness and abandonment there, but then, but then, but then a whole community of strangers pulls together to fight for his life, even sharing their names with him and being like, well, being like family to him. Now, many of us have wonderful, loving families. Others in our midst have families that are marked by pain and loss. For some, Mother's Day is a happy celebration. For others, not so much. But as we assemble as the church, we are reminded that we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. We are a community of faith. We are a bunch of imperfect, broken and bruised people saved by grace. We are mostly in this room unrelated by blood, but we are drawn together by Jesus Christ and we are given life and we are called into community. Called into a community of life, just like those paramedics, firefighters, doctors and nurses. The vision of Naperville Covenant Church speaks into this reality of community. We say that we are an increasingly diverse, compassionate community committed to knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in our neighborhoods and world. 
I love this whole vision and the process that went into our, our framing it. And I encourage you to live into all of it in the years ahead as a church. But for today, today I want to take just a few minutes on this one part of community, compassionate community, and ask how do we get there? The passage of Scripture that we just heard in Acts 2, as David read, encourages and inspires. And as it gives, a, it gives us a glimpse of the church in the very beginning, the church has just been given life by the Holy Spirit, and now it's becoming this active, compassionate, caring, growing community. And for us, there is a, a strength there to build on and to deepen. So I want to say this this morning, that for Naperville Covenant Church, as we continue to live into our vision of compassionate community, let's consider some steps we might take of commitment that can get us, that can take us closer to what I say, to being here and being present, to being real and to being available, to being connected and to being inviting. Do they, kids, do they still do attendance at school? Do they call your names in class and you have to say here? Do you still do that? Is there always one kid that says present? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's changed in, in, in all my, there's always, and there's here, 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 and there's always at least one kind of, sm- kind of they tend to be the smart aleck um, that says present, yeah. <laughs> Ellie's here. <laughs> and it's a rough day. You're good, Amy. Amy is Wonder Mom. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> is there a difference between training here and being present? Well, when a kid's hanging there, putting up their hand, no. But I, I was thinking through that. And there, there really is kind of a difference. Uh, there's a difference between being here would mean like sitting. But being present means participating, for example. Or, 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 or to be here means to be a spectator and watch what's going on. But to be present means to be a player. We can come to church and we can be, as we say, parked in a pew. Or we can be engaged with what's going on. To be here means I'm here, I'm present. But really present means interacting with others. Here is occasionally present as regularly, faithfully, when able. The early church, it says this uh, in the words again from Acts 2, and all the believers met together constantly. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. They were together every day. They were fully and faithfully here, but they worshiped together. They generously gave to each other. They were fully present as well as simply being here. There's some good things that happen when we are fully present. There's this encouragement of our presence, of, of that sense of I'm not the only one who's trying to, to seek this and make this faith thing work. There's a, simply the encouragement of being with each other. It's a way that we encourage positive behaviors and positive attitudes. The scripture says, let us consider ways that we encourage one another on to love and good deeds, and we do that when we gather together. It affirms our faith, too, especially when there are concerns or doubts or, or fears about the reality of our faith. We encourage and affirm each other. I think another important thing about community is it becomes a, a reality check. We, we combat the effects of isolation. When we're left on our own, we, we kind of devise our own uh, sphere of reality. And there's dangers of, of what we allow to, to feed that sometimes. Whether we are, uh, you know, life now can be arranged all the way from Fox News to CNN. And if we fill ourselves fully and only find the people that we listen to that we agree with, it affects our, our sense of reality. And that's why we need the community of faith. Even if we have differences there, we, we need each other. I've reflected on some of the recent news events and the craziness in Washington on both sides of the aisle. This, the whole college admissions scandal 
Anybody here paid a couple million dollars to get your kids' ACT scores changed? Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. And then even some of our mega church scandals here in the Chicago area, even recently. And I went on to think about how money or power, and often they are linked, but how money and or power can make us think differently. We can, we can begin to think that we are special, that we're, we're maybe just slightly above others. We might think that the, the rules then don't apply to me because of the power or influence that I think I have. The rules that apply to me, and we can get ourselves in trouble. And that's where we need each other in the community of faith, to do the reality check, to keep each other accountable, to stay grounded in our faith and in the, in the word and what it means for every day. Isolation is the enemy. We lose our reference points. It becomes all about me, and we need each other. Now, we can't always be here, but when we are, we make efforts then to not only be here, but to be present. We can't always be here. Our schedules are crazy and take us all over the place, but we can stay connected through prayer for one another and staying in touch in other ways. For Neighbor Cove, we, as we continue to live in our vision of compassionate community, let's consider then how we might uh, take steps to get us closer to being here and being present, and secondly, to being real and being available. The passage from Acts doesn't describe just a busy, active church, but rather it describes believers making genuine, life-impacting, life-enhancing changes. These were growth-inducing activities. It was real life. It was real life faith. It was vibrant. They were alive and real. Verse 42 of Acts 2 says, They joined with the other believers and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. They were doing what we call fellowshipping. But they didn't have fellowship halls and they probably didn't have coffee urns. It didn't involve that. It wasn't just surface level chit chat. Fellowship means a partnership. Fellowship means participation. Fellowship means having things in common, having a common interest, a common desire. Uh, and it's a participation in the knowledge of Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul, whenever he used the word fellowship, it was always a spiritual usage. He spoke of the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ that we join together in the sufferings of Christ. Some of you remember years ago, you did it, I did it at my church, uh, former church, but uh, Purpose Driven Life, and I, I was taken back to a, a quote in here by Rick Warren about fellowship. One of our purposes is to experience life together. He says this, he says, Life is meant to be shared. God intends for us to experience life together. The Bible calls this shared experience fellowship. Today, however, the word has lost some of its biblical meaning. Fellowship now usually refers to casual conversation, socializing, food, and fun. The question, where do you fellowship, means where do you attend church? Stay after for fellowship usually means wait for the refreshments. Real fellowship is so much more than just showing up at services. It is experiencing life together. It includes unselfish loving, honest sharing, practical serving, sacrificial giving, sympathetic comforting, and all the other, the, all the other one another commands found in the New Testament. When it comes to fellowship, size matters. Smaller is better. You can worship with a crowd, but you can't fellowship with a crowd. Once a group becomes larger than about 10 people, someone stops participating, usually the quietest person, and a few people will dominate the group. Jesus ministered in the context of a small group of disciples. He could have chosen more, but he knew 12 is about the maximum size you can have in a small group if everyone is to participate. The body of Christ, like your own body, is really a collection of many small cells. The life of the body of Christ, like your body, is contained in the cells. For this reason, every Christian needs to be involved in a small group within the church, whether it is a home fellowship group, a Sunday school class, or a Bible study. 
this is where real community takes place. Not in the big gatherings. If you think your church, if you think of your church as a ship, the small groups are the lifeboats attached to it. And he goes on, and I'm not, I'll put in a plug for small groups, but I wanted to more push us to that place of being ready and available and real means smaller groupings and investing in the relationships you have and the new ones that you build. We're more likely to be real with each other, willing to ask the questions, share the concerns and doubts and struggles and pains in places uh, even where we might disagree when we're connected with people and we're real with people. It's too easy to stay on the surface, but that's not real community. Being real and being available means caring for one another. Verse 44 in the text goes on and says, And all the believers met together constantly and shared everything they had. They sold their possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. Now, some have taken that to indicate we ought to all live communally. Uh, I don't know if it's necessarily teaching that. There's some that do that. But it does show a mutual concern and care. It does show a commitment to each other all levels of life. It does show family and body and being available to each other, especially to those in need, those in need financially, physically, and emotionally. I think of the ways in this church that compassion has been shown in in recent months. You know, we have a benevolence fund. We try to mention it at the first Sunday Sunday of every month. Don't always do that, but uh, so many of you are so generous to that fund and has recently enabled us to make some significant difference in the lives of some people. I can mention specifically out loud Martina and Luisa Bonilla because you're aware of that. We don't give money directly to people through the benevolence fund, but we give freely from the benevolence fund and sometimes let you know it needs a little replenishing and you respond. It's made a huge difference for them, a couple other families in our church recently. And I want you to know that, that you've responded and you've been available for those that have much to be able to provide for some that do not. You've been generous in providing rides. You've been generous in opening up your homes. A couple men in our church were out of work recently, and for both of them, the community connections that they had in this church and the prayer and the care of this church made a big difference. And thank God they both have good new jobs. We're real and available to each other when we simply listen. When we really listen and absorb what somebody else is sharing. And even if it's difficult to hear, it can be powerful to give to each other in that way as well. We need each other for fellowship and friendship, for protection and care. For Neighbor Cup to continue to live into our vision of compassionate community, we are considering steps to being more real and available, but finally to being connected and being inviting. There's always the danger of when we get real close, and you've experienced this in some of your groups, whether they're informal groups of friends in our church over the years or in your small group, where we get closer, we like each other, and we, we, we don't really, our group gets to a certain size, and we don't want it to be any bigger. And then there's that word, you know that word, clicks, right? Yeah? And, and, and we see it happen, it happens in youth ministry, it can happen in small groups. <laughs> We come to be to that place that we really want to just be with the people we're comfortable with, the people that are like me, the people that like me. (laughs) And Jesus said, really, it doesn't count to love the people that are easy to love. But this text gives us a picture of a close community that is also an open-ended community. It says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. Saved. Saved like a baby who was saved by a community of people who called him to life. A community like that, when a church acts like that, is a compelling community. People notice the quality of their community and of their life together, and it's inviting. 
It's just not filling a church up. It means people who need that kind of connection and, and need to experience the life that Christ gives. It's most often an organic thing that's grown. It's not always because we manufacture something of, let's just add more small groups. Let's just do more potlucks. Those are great. But it's more when the individuals of the faith community take responsibility to make those kind of connections, to be real and to make contact and to be fully present. I listed a whole bunch here, and I'm going to confess. This came from an old sermon I preached on small groups, but I yanked them out for today. Here's some things. I'm just going to run through them real quick. You don't have to check any boxes. I'm not making you do anything. But if there's one of them that catches your eye, jot it down. Here we go. Join a small group. There's information in the bulletin. Pray for and encourage my small group if you're already in one. Challenge my small group to divide and multiply. Ooh, some of you, are, I can see some of you in that, that one group. They're like, nope, we're not going to do that. But just think about it, okay? <laughs> that group is so good. <laughs> Pray the weekly prayer list that gets sent out. Actually open that email. Pray for those people. Make at least one, one care contact a month. Just one, you know, which can be a text, phone call, a note, whatever. At church even, just saying, hey, I've been thinking about you. That's, that's easy. But it's sincere. I'll tell you, people remember the smallest things. Send at least one card a month if you still do that kind of thing. Children, if you're not familiar with the concept of cards and stamps, ask your parents. Make an attendance goal for yourself. This isn't like a guilt that you're not here enough. This is like, I'm going to try to be, this is what I think I could do with my travel schedule, my family schedule, and other commitments. This is a goal that I will try to hit. Learn one new name per Sunday. Some of you, per month, okay? You know who you are. So just, you know, one name, one new name. Even somebody you think you should know and just go, I feel terrible. I know who you are. I simply cannot remember your first name. Oh, you'll die of embarrassment, won't you? No, they'll be glad that you asked, actually. (laughs) Post-church visiting, how about one Sunday month find one new person, somebody you don't know. Make a list of, I love this one, make a list of digging deeper questions to move from chit-chat to real conversation. Some of the introverts are going, I wish we did that all the time. And the extroverts are like, what do you know? What do you mean? What do you mean? We always talk, yeah. The digging deeper questions, not nosy, but just take it down another notch. Ask for help. Plan a gathering in my home. Invite people I don't know. Invite a friend, family, or single to go out for lunch after worship on Sunday. Ask someone I trust to be a prayer partner or accountability partner. Don't wait for a program from the church and a bulletin insert to match you up. Just find somebody and say, can we pray together? Can we pray for each other? Some of the things are simple. You know what? It's getting harder and harder to stay fully alive as a church. I talked to some pastors the other day. Bill Borgeson and I went to our 45th uh, college reunion at Wheaton College yesterday, and I talked to several other pastors, and everybody's, it's just, it's getting harder to do this. Our lives are becoming more demanding. Our careers are becoming more demanding. The the, the culture is just kind of tugging at us. It's getting harder and harder to do this to stay fully alive as a church. But what if we could be like a, a team of health and safety professionals who, who realize that the life of the community depends on our being fully present and encourage each other to live? Come on, kid. Come on, kid. Come on, little boy. Come on and fight back. Come on, church. Come on, church. Come on, little community of faith. Come on, church, and fight back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for calling Neighborville Covenant Church into existence some 44, 45 years ago. 
Thank you for your incredible faithfulness to this church over the years and the many challenges and changes that that has gone through. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to us even in this season of transition and change and even some question marks about what's going on. But we know that you are in our midst, Lord God. We know that you are calling us deeper into places of community and connection with each other, even with crazy schedules, even with things that compete for our attention, Lord. Help us to be like that team that willed that child to life, that we'll experience the life of Christ and who we are as a church. We pray this in the name of our Savior. Amen.